Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Thursday, July 7th, 2022. This is Shannon, and tonight I'm here with Stacy, Georgina, and Brooke. And we are delving into the fabulous world of paranormal women's fiction. So think like urban fantasy with strong female heroines over the age of 40. Yes, yes. And yes, finally, yes, because we are all over the age of 40. And so this is good. (laughs) (laughs) This is good. So we are going to get started with the usual housekeeping information. Then Brooke will start us off with her first book, followed by me, Stacy, and last will be Georgina. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So my first book this evening is Magical Midlife Madness, Leveling Up, book one by K.F. Breen. Of course it is. Right? (laughs) Of course it is. And (laughs) as Shannon and I were talking about this, a couple days ago, um, she did. I remember you mentioned that KF Brain was kind of the one that kind of started this whole idea of books about women over forty. Yeah, she so was our, like one of the first Fab Thirteen people I think, to right? do this. Yes, yeah. yeah. So our main character's name is Jesse, and Jesse is forty years about forty years old. Um. Her husband one day tells her that he wants a divorce and he's kind of shocked to get her reaction. She's kind of like, okay, sure, whatever. Um, He offers to let her stay in their house and she's like, nope, I'm going to go and live with my parents for a bit, see what I want to do. So she packs up her bags and moves in with her parents. And oh my God, people, (laughs) I will have to tell you, I could not, I was busting a gut. Like my dad thought I was, losing it or something because I couldn't stop laughing like the parents are too much um she comes out for breakfast one morning and she's chatting with her mom about whatever and she looks over and her dad's like butt naked and she's like oh my god dad like I did not need to see that like you need to cover it up like cover up your begonias that's what she calls them and (laughs) and and he's like well I sleep, I sleep naked because 
well, it was tightening my begonias and I didn't like it. Oh my God. It was making me breathe all, and I couldn't stop laughing. Like I really honestly could not stop laughing. So obviously this arrangement was not working for her. So one day she's out with her, um, her best friend, Diana, and her friend tells her that her grand, I think it's her grand, I think it's her grandmother. Her grandmother's looking for somebody to um, be a like caretaker for um, their, uh, for a home that's in their family called, called Ivy House. So she said, sure, why not? Like, I remember this house back when we were kids. I was like, loved it. And I have nothing else kind of set up right now. And it sounds like something I might want to do. So why not? So she heads out there. And there we meet some pretty eccentric characters. Um, We meet her next door neighbor, who's an older woman. And like, she shows up and her neighbors throwing rocks at people passing by her house. Oh, so you can only imagine. And she's got this like Irish brog and it's, it's just sounds, I can just sit, hear this in my head and I'm like laughing. Um, we have another character is this older man who is the butler for Ivy house. Um, his name is Mr. Tom. And we also meet Edgar who's their eccentric old um, gardener. So like, these are the kind of the people that we meet. And Jesse doesn't really know a lot about these people, but as the book goes on, we, we learn that there's some special things about these people. Um, this community is a community of magical beings. We have shifters, there's vampires, there's gargoyles, there's all sorts gargoyles. of people. They all kind of collected to this place because it's kind of like when you're looking for a place to be, you want to have somewhere where it's safe. And one of the characters that we also meet, his name is Austin Steele. And Austin Steele is like the alpha of the community. He, um, he is a shifter and he takes people under his wing and protects everyone. So he's a little bit worried about the fact that Ivy House now has a new caretaker because if Ivy House accepts Jesse, so Ivy House, it kind of like, it doesn't just get passed down from family member to family member. You kind of have to be judged as worthy by the house. So Jesse, through this book, she's, being tested by the house and she's also discovering things about the house because she's got to find a certain thing in order to be fully accepted by the host and that my friends is all I'm going to tell you for now because I don't want to give anything away but if you are looking for an amazing heroine who is middle-aged and who runs into some pretty interesting characters. Um, I did forget to mention one horrifying part. Um, There's a room full of dolls. And like on different (laughs) shelves, there's also pieces to replace parts of the dolls. And we don't really, you don't get to see the dolls as much in this book, but in later books, oh my God, guys, these dolls are horrifying. That's all I love. 
Yeah, they are. <laughs> but they're funny at the same time, but horrifying. So this is Magical Midlife Madness, Leveling Up, book one, and it's by K.F. Breen. Yay. I liked this book a lot. I need to get back to the rest of the series, but this one was definitely, um, I particularly liked the gargoyle. So I'm going to stick with the theme of, of course, um, because it will surprise absolutely no one that my first book is Starlight Web, <gasps> Moonshadow Bay, book one by Yasmin Gallinor. Yes. <laughs> now I will have everyone know that I did text Brooke before I decided to do this to see if she was going to do it because I would have given the beloved Yasmin um, to someone else had Brooke really wanted to do it. But she declined and I was happy. now I get to talk about it so this is Yasmin Gallinorn's sort of first foray into paranormal women's fiction and it is a trend that she will be continuing we have a new series coming out of hers um, in October and this is going to be the Magic Happens series and it is set in the same universe as Moonshadow Bay and my very favorite which is Whisper Hollow So Moonshadow Bay is a small town in Washington, and it is kind of shielded from sort of the the non-magical folk. There are a few that manage to kind of sneak in. The town kind of allows them to be in because they kind of serve a, a purpose, the town thinks. But you can't ever really know who it's going to let in and, and who it's not. But January Jackson grew up in Moonshadow Bay and she left when she got married. And as is often the case in these books, um, her husband was not a stellar individual. And when she is about to turn 41, they get a divorce and she returns home to Moonshadow Bay. Her parents have recently died in an accident and she has inherited their home. So it's, you know, a homecoming in a lot of ways. She is happy to be back, happy to be free of her husband, who was very, very threatened by her magical abilities. Um, January is a witch and her husband like couldn't, couldn't handle that. So he sort of, I don't know, like passive aggressively uh, managed to get her to like reject most of what she knew about magic. So now that she's back, she is trying to figure out like, what is this new life of hers going to look like? So she gets a job at a paranormal investigation firm, which is called Conjure Inc. And she starts to work with this group of people and they investigate um, like possessions of places, different types of paranormal sightings that people claim to have. Like there's a man that works for them that is really obsessed with Bigfoot. And so what are we like seven books in six books in? Um, And he's still like going out on all of these sightings to try to see if like Bigfoot actually does exist. 
So we see kind of January come into her own as she's working for this agency. We see her reconnecting with her best friend, Ari, who she kind of had to like put a distance uh, between like they, they didn't spend a lot of time together when she was married because Ari is also someone with magical abilities and, you know, the husband, like he just wasn't going to, wasn't going to have that. So she's sort of reconnecting to herself and the memories that she sort of pushed aside of her childhood. She also meets a wolf shifter whose name is Killian and he is a veterinarian, which I love. Um, I think it's very cool that there's like a, a wolf shifter who is a vet. And they, in the first book, are, you know, getting to know each other and you kind of get the, the sense by the end of the first book that they have feelings for one another. Um, but you don't necessarily like see that play out right away. It is more of a kind of a slow burn thing. Um, but this is such a fun series. I like the way she kind of mixes the lighter elements of paranormal women's fiction, like the things that can make you laugh, but she also includes some darker themes and you really get to explore um, a lot of a lot of like paranormal tropes. Um, there's a book later in the series where January accidentally like downloads a demon from the internet. <laughs> Whoops. Which, <laughs> yes. Which I thought was like very, like very clever to kind of take technology and give it sort of that like magical spin. Um, it is no secret and has not been a secret from the start of this podcast that Yasmin Gallinorn is like my most favorite and beloved author. Um, but I just think that Moonshadow Bay is a very, very special series. And I'm hoping that, you know, with this one and then with Magic Happens, I hope she does continue to write um, in this particular genre of paranormal fiction because she does it so incredibly well. So this is Starlight Web, Moonshadow Bay, book one by Yasmin Gallinorn. So my first book this evening is by a very new to me author. Um, and this book just came out this year, actually. It's called Midlife Magic and Magnolias, Magic at Midnight, book one by Meredith Carlyle. And, you know, there are some trends within paranormal women's fiction. So if you're okay with that, I sort of feel like there's a bit of a formula. And the formula typically is that the woman is either just approaching 40 or in her mid or in her early to mid forties. And she and her husband are in the process of divorcing. And that holds true for my first book. Alex is 44 years old. Um, her husband was caught banging someone else and he is leaving her and he doesn't sound like he was all that, you know, worthy of her time and attention anyway. No. And at the same time, she's also been, um, she's lost her job. The career she's been in, in um, uh, magazine uh, journalism for, for most of her adult life. And Alex is sort of kind of at a pretty low spot. Um, as our book opens, it is a week before her 45th birthday. And for the last eight generations in her family, every woman has died in her 45th year, Whoa. most of natural causes, one 
being literally hit by a clown car um, in passing away. But <laughs> the rest, clowns. Right. We're clowns. just talking exactly. about why clowns are bad. Yes, clowns are bad. <laughs> clowns who drive cars are worse. But anyway, yes, so Alex, is, Alex has daughters in their early 20s. And she's very, first of all, very worried about what's going to happen to them. And also... She's going to spend every moment of every day and has since she was in her 20s and she had her oldest daughter. She's spent all this time trying to figure out what the hell is going on with her family so she can hopefully prevent it from happening to her and leaving her girls. Fair. She lost her own mother when she was 15 and was raised uh, by her mother's closest friend, Eleanor. So her adopted aunt, Eleanor, the book begins with Alex driving into the retirement community where Aunt Eleanor lives, and she's going to stay there because she's lost her house, she's lost her husband, she's lost her job, and she's feeling pretty low. But it's okay, because Aunt, Aunt Eleanor will be there with tequila, and all will be well. <laughs> well. As she's walking into Aunt Eleanor's house, she sees her neighbor Nellie spying with binoculars from her porch and watching her. That's all oh. Nellie does, because Nellie and Eleanor have a bit of a, a bit of a long-standing issue with each other and so you know so she goes into her aunt's house and uh starts partying it up with her best friend nikki and her aunt and her best friend works um at a genealogy lab and has found some information that dates back actually nine generations and they think she might be that alex might be a long-lost heiress to a family line which has the same last name as her, but spelled slightly differently. But the thing oh. is, no one can really find this Magnolia house, but um, she gets some information from an attorney in this small town in, I believe it's South Carolina. And so after she has some partying with her aunt and her best friend and catches her aunt um, fooling around with her geriatric um, man, she decides that she's going to just sneak away and go check out this house on her own. And that's when things start getting very intense for dear Alex. You know, all of a sudden, like she's driving and the GPS is giving her like weird directions and the road will go fuzzy and then it'll pop back into focus. And when she Ooh. finally ends up at Magnolia house, very strange things begin happening in terms of, how the house responds to Alex stepping across the threshold. And during this book, Alex is going to learn a lot about her, her ancestors, her family, Magnolia house and the town of magical people that Magnolia house and her ancestors have supported for years and years. And Alex is also going to learn more about herself and her strength. And she's going to come into some strength in some magical and non-magical ways while meeting a really cool new community of people um, and, um, you know, a couple different uh, love, potential love interests that will, we will probably learn more about in upcoming books. Um, and also she ends up with a pack of geriatric defenders because Aunt Eleanor and her man and sort of vindictive neighbor are not going to let you know Alex go to this new place unaccompanied and they show up and all just mayhem ensues 
And that's all I'm going to say about this book for now. Um, I did find sometimes that um, the world building was a little uneven. And um, I think that we'll get more answers about things in book two. I did like the way that the author mixed different lore um, and different paranormal elements together. It's not the other thing that I love about this book is it's not like little longer than a novella. It actually um, in audio was a little over 11 hours. So I felt like hail um, the long books. I know. I mean, it's really hard to find paranormal <laughs> women's fiction. That's over 250 pages in my opinion, no. Um, no. which is rough for me. And, you know, while it has so many of the elements that I, I find very comforting about this genre, um, like magical houses and women starting over and all of those things, um, it's told in a fresh and funny voice that made it something that I definitely will continue as soon as book two is released, which I think is happening um, in a month or two. So Ooh. this again, yes. So this again is Midlife Magic and Magnolias, Magic at Midnight, book one, and it's by Meredith Carlyle. My first book that I'm going to talk about is It Sucks to Be Me behind. <laughs> Austin Painter. Um, and it's the first in the uh, it, Fangs, First Wives Fang Club? Yes. What's first, it called? It is the first in the um, Fangs. First Fangs Club, I think it is? Yes, First Fangs Club. And so Donna Bella, that is her actual name, <laughs> is married to a the mobster like her brother-in-law is the head mobster and his name is tony and she her sister-in-law is. is named lucinda and her and lucinda have this they hate each other all mob wives they compete dressing to the nines and being mean and catty to each other so belladonna is it's two in the morning and she sees policemen on her door and thinks her husband has finally been arrested. But it ends up that he's, he's dead. And so she's like, this can't be real. How could my husband be dead before I put him in prison? <laughs> and um, Belladonna is very angry that he died and left her to clean up the mess he left behind with the mob so tony says her brother-in-law that she can get out of the mob if he does one last favor for her for him and against her better judgment she agrees of course things go sideways in a big way she decides that before she does this thing she's going to go to the cemetery and yell at her husband even though he can no longer hear her <laughs> and so she's screaming like a crazy woman in the cemetery when this man comes out of nowhere attacks her and bites her and she doesn't really understand because she kind of blacks out and wakes up to this woman feeding her from her wrist oh and ah. so she gets she gets turned but doesn't want to accept it. So she goes to the the the, the rendezvous 
where she's going to do this one last thing for her brother-in-law. But it ends up where it goes sideways. Like they tried to, they tried to, I don't know if they tried to take her or kidnap her or how, but it doesn't, it doesn't go well for the men. She suddenly finds herself with vampire strength. (laughs) Um, There is a lot more. This was a really fun series. I did read all five books. Um, even though I just started yesterday, I, oh. <laughs> I listened to them all one after the other. It was a, it's a really good series. Um, Belladonna ends up finding herself in this series and really coming into her own. And she does grow from being just a mob wife to um, something that I, I was actually, um, I like a lot of women's fiction, but this is this is was a really good series. This is the First Fangs Club. It sucks to be me by Kristen Painter. It's like I read one of her other series, and I'm going to be looking for this one. So my next book this evening is Hexes and Hot Flashes, <laughs> the Oracle of Winter, Book One by Lisa Manifold. And this is actually my first book of hers. And I haven't really read many books about oracles. So I was pretty excited about it. So our main characters. Yeah, I agree. So our main character's name is Winter Shastain. And six months prior to the book starting, um, her husband dies in a helicopter accident. He um, ran a company that did helicopter tours. And so there's a, there's an accident and he dies. So she's been grieving and she's pretty upset about it. Um, one of their like mutual friends calls and says that he wants to come over and get her to um, sign some paperwork for the insurance money. Their friend is the insurance person. Um, so he comes and he's very like, doesn't want to look at her face and is very like uncomfortable. So she knows that he probably has not very good news, but she can't really figure out what, like what the problem is because it's very clear what happened. And she knows that they've been paying their like um, policy dues and all the stuff. So she's kind of confused. Well, she finds out that her husband actually has another family. She's got, he's got a wife and two young children. Oh. So even though Winter and her husband, Derek, were the ones paying for this policy, he is, he's making it that she gets (gasps) 20% and the other family gets 80%. So Derek and Winter have three children and they're all in university. So they're paying for like all their education and she's a little bit stressed out about this, but she also knows that she has the money from selling the business. So she's not completely worried, but she's very pissed off because she just doesn't even know what to do. So she decides that she's going to go and drink at a bar because we all do that you know when we're pissed off we go drink at a bar why not 
So she goes to the bar and she's drinking and this guy sits beside her and he literally looks like Indiana Jones. So she gets talking to Indiana Jones. She, she nicknamed him Indy. His, his name is actually Asher, but she nicknames him Indy and she's chatting away and she decides to go to his hotel room with him. So she's in the bathroom in the hotel room getting all freshened up and stuff and she hears some like stuff happening outside the room and she's like, what the hell? So she's like, Asher, are you okay? She goes out and it's the hotel room's like a mess and Asher is missing. Oh. So she calls, she's like looking everywhere and trying to figure out like what the heck. So she sits down on the couch and she finds this like metal bracelet. And I don't know why, but she puts it on. And she ends up like a bad idea. I know. You really shouldn't just like randomly put things on. Like I don't know. I don't understand. (laughs) But she puts it on. And she blacks out. And then she comes back to being whatever. And she's like, that was weird. So she calls the police and the police do their thing and they're very suspicious of her and whatever. Um, so she just goes, she goes home and she's like, I don't know, this is so weird. But then she has like these voices kind of talking in her head, telling her things, whatever. Um, and she realizes through things that she learns that she is now considered to be like an oracle. Um, so there's some sort of magic that's in this bracelet that I forgot to mention, kind of like soaked into her wrist and is now like oh. a tattoo. So it's like a talking tattoo, really. Whoa. So like talks to her and tells her like, um, kind of gives her warnings. Like one time she's in danger and he says like, get out of there. He's much stronger than you. You're not going to be able to do anything. You need to go and hide um, and stuff like that. Um, during this also, we get to meet the previous Oracle she is now a ghost and she gives her input on things and like trying to teach her what her new job is. Um, the way that she learns that she's an Oracle, um, is this guy is on her step when she gets home. His name is Logan. And he's like, I need your help. Um, I, so Logan is a Panther shifter and he like woke up in this somewhere and he doesn't know who he is. So through this book, Winter starts trying to help him figure out who he is because in order for her to become like a full Oracle, she needs to successfully complete this job. If she doesn't, then like she no longer, she doesn't become the Oracle and it gets passed on to somebody else. And she's really, she wants to be because she, she's learned enough about it that she's really interested. And that, my friends, is all I'm going to tell you. So this is Hexes and Hot Flashes, The Oracle of Winter, book one, and it's by Lisa Manifold. Put on a strange bracelet and it will absorb into your skin and become a tattoo that talks to you. This is exactly why you should just not put on strange bracelets. It sounds like a bad acid trip like the talking tattoo. I know. (laughs) I know. (laughs) So my next book is I think the only standalone 
of the evening. And this is The Change by Kirsten Miller. I think if you were to like look at the, the categorization of this book, I don't technically think that it's marketed as paranormal women's fiction, although it totally should be. Um, it's longer and darker than the usual fare for this genre. And it is for those reasons and, and many others that I love it. So this came out at the end of May um, of this year. So it's pretty new. And it takes place on my beloved Long Island um, where I lived for a few years. And it's just like one of my favorite places ever. So this is the story of three women, Joe, Harriet, and Nessa. And all of them are of the age where like menopause either has begun or like they're actually in full menopause. And with the onset of menopause for these three women has come the awakening of paranormal abilities. Some of them have known all of their lives that they have these abilities, but they haven't sort of come to the surface until they have gone through menopause. Um, Nessa is a black woman who is able to locate um, through connecting with spirits, the bodies of missing people um, who you know, are then found out to be dead. Joe has some kind of connection with fire that you don't fully understand um, until like much later in the book, but she is able to focus her energy and turn it into fire, um, which is a, a very neat thing to be able to do if you find yourself in some of these situations. And Harriet is an herbalist and an herbalist of like epic proportion. Um, her garden, all of a sudden, like overnight, just turned into like this jungle of herbs and plants. Um, even some of these grow in her house. And she has all this knowledge of herbal healing. Um, and so these three women have not known each other up until this point, but they meet through a series of circumstances that I will not disclose. And they find that there's sort of like this, this triangle of power um, in their kind of area of the country. So like, you know, Joe is sort of the, the protection and Harriet is the healer. And Nessa is what they call the light who brings sort of missing people home again, um, even though in most cases, the missing people are, are no longer alive. Um, they begin to investigate a series of murders when Nessa is contacted by a spirit and they find that there are some very rich men in their community who have been using their money and their power to abduct and murder young women. And most of these women are women that, you know, are like sex workers or drug addicts, people that the police, for various reasons, have decided are not worth investigating. So our three heroines 
join forces to sort of bring bring justice to these particular women. Um, this is a book of feminist rage, of feminist power. Um, it does some different things than I think some of the like traditional PWF does in that like one of these women is still married in the book and she's learning, you know, how to be a mother and a wife as well as being this like very strong character like in her own right. Um, I really, really liked this. If you do it in audio, um, January Lavoie is the reader and she is like fantastic. So if you're looking for something that does feature these, you know, women um, as, as they call themselves of a certain age that are not content with the status quo, who are looking to bring their rage and their power like for the purposes of making positive change in the world, then I highly, highly recommend this. It is The Change by Kirsten Miller. It reminded me a little bit of um, Her Majesty's Royal Coven by Juno Dawson, just in kind of the way like women are working together to, again, affect positive change. I will definitely be looking for this book. Yes. The book I am about to talk about brings me so much joy in my heart that I just cannot even begin to express it. I love it. I love the series. I know because of my fabulous recommendations, our dearest Shannon has read it. I think Brooke has read it. Yes. And I hope soon Georgina will read it because everyone, everyone should read the 40 Proof series by yes. Shannon Mayer. Yes, because should. it is delightful. So the first book in the 40 Proof series is Midlife Bounty Hunter. Again, it's by Shannon Mayer. This book is about Brie. Brie is 41 years old and she is out of ducks to give because you see her marriage has sort of exploded as so many in this genre uh, tend to do. And she is on, she's like broke, no like house, no job. And actually she's living back in Savannah in her ex-husband's much younger, hotter cousin's guest room. Right? Like, <laughs> oh my God, that's a lot. And really her only friend is um, a skeleton named Robert. Oh, the skeleton. My favorite character in the series. Now, Brie is trying to find a job. And the only thing that she can find actually is a job where she would have to return to the shadow world that she had walked away from years ago um, when she moved to Seattle. And, you know, she's been kind of ignoring it for most of her adult life. But in order to, you know, earn a paycheck and to kind of get out of this hole that she has fallen in, she is willing to, you know, go out and, and try this, this job back in the shadow world. And so, she is put with a group of younger men who laugh at her and don't believe that she can do this job. And she goes through a bunch of training and she meets a bunch of supernaturals, if you will. There's a bunch of hot men all vying for 41-year-old Bree's 
attention. And honestly, like, I don't know what else to say about this book without giving away a lot. There's a lot of really interesting paranormal lore in this book. Um, Savannah is a really interesting place. Um, she, it really, in my opinion, comes to, li- comes to life on the page, the way that Shannon Mayer writes about it. Um, there's some questions about pause Hume. Is it her grandmother or her aunt? Her grandmother. Grandmother. All right, resume Hume. There's some questions about her grandmother and her grandmother's house um, that kind of crop up throughout the series. And, you know, as, as Brie is kind of learning a lot about herself and the woman that she is sort of becoming as she starts this new chapter in her life, she's also forming this beautiful, gorgeous, wonderful found family that is, it just adds so much depth to the series. And this book had me laughing my ass off, like cackle laughing, the ugly laugh that you can't control. And, um, you know, I just think that I'm not going to tell you anything else about it because I think you just need to read it so you can get to know all of the characters like Brie and Robert and, and the fish. skeleton horse and the skeleton horse, which you will not meet until later and fish. No, you will. That's not book one, is it? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that like later, um, like not right at the beginning of book oh, one. But I see. I thought that was book two. No, Skeletor. Oh, Skeletor. Skeleton horse. Yeah. But it's, it's a delightful series. It's very funny. Um, each book does end on a cliffhanger, just FYI. So, um, and we have, let's see, I think there are six books out six. now. And the seventh, I believe, is coming in August. So, it is. so if you start now. Yeah, you could you can you read get the through. six and then you'll be ready when is it uh, book seven midlife magic hunter comes out yes so this again is midlife bounty hunter the 40 proof series book one by the amazing shannon mayer my next book that i'm going to talk about is resting witch face widow's bay book one by rebecca Rainier. This was a fun um, book. I was kind of hesitant at first, but I really, really ended up liking her books. There's eight books in this series. Um, Book one is Marcy makes a big public display online. Like she loses her cool completely. So Yes, yes, she does. (laughs) This is captured... And sent everywhere. So she goes back with her tail tucked between her legs back home to her little town of Widow's Bay. And of course, the first person she sees is the hot sheriff who's a werewolf, but she doesn't know this at the time. Um, she doesn't realize she's a witch until later when she comes into her powers and then she realizes that the town she's in is magical and someone dies at her best friend's um outside the bar if i'm remembering correctly Mm -hmm. and then they have to figure out who 
did this with her group of friends that she's known for a while. Um, this was, like I said, a very fun read. She had some interesting twist on um, on on her paranormal stuff. Um, I can't wait to finish this series. This was Resting Witch Face by Rebecca Rainier, Widow's Bay, book one. She has a talking orange cat that rides on a mastiff, which is yes. awesome. <laughs> like makes yes. me so happy whenever I think about it. And says some really snooty things like about her wardrobe and things like yes, that. Yes, I recall. That's funny. Yes. Yeah. I, um, I read this book last summer or last year at some point, but I think it was last summer and I enjoyed it a you lot. I enjoyed it for something. I, I did. Remember. Was it God? What would have been I... which one? It might've been clear the witches. Did we, did you do uh, it for witches? You might've. I don't know. Cause I, I feel like it was longer ago than that, that I read it, but um, it, what I liked about it was that you can tell that this author really loves the upper peninsula of Michigan and um you know, writes about it with such fondness and paints a really vivid picture of the area. Um. So my last book this evening is, it's a wonderful midlife crisis. <laughs> Good to the last death book one. And it's by Robin Peterman. Oh my God. I love this book. <laughs> <laughs> so our main character's name is Daisy. And Daisy is a paralegal and she's got a wonderful group of friends and her boss is not the nicest person. She is kind of bitchy <laughs> and she asks Daisy this. I thought this was funny. She, there's a new lawyer who's a man coming into the office and I guess Daisy it's kind of like attracts all men according to what her boss thinks. So she asks Daisy to work from home for the next week or so. So she is doing this and at home, she's got a bit of a situation going on. Um, she has a bunch of ghosts that are treating her house like a bed and breakfast. And like when we first start the book, we don't really understand this because she kind of just lives with these ghosts. And she's like, I don't speak ghosts. I don't know what you want, but like, do your thing. I'll do my thing. Like, that's just the way it goes. But as the book goes on, we learn that her family is um, different women within her family have been known to be um, what are called death counselors. So what they do <laughs> is they help the dead figure out like to figure out why they're stuck where they are they're kind of stuck in limbo so she she like I love the first ghost that she helps out his name is Sam and he his wife has Alzheimer's and before he died he would always like make sure she knew where her glasses were. Like he always put her glasses in a certain spot, but since she's, he's passed away, like she's not been able to find her glasses. 
and it really bothers him. So he wants her to be able to go and to find her, um, his wife's glasses. Like he tells her where they are. Um, they're in the cookie jar. <laughs> and he gets her to go into the house without the wife knowing and to put them in the spot where he always put them. Because on the li- like on the little chain thing that are that her glasses are attached to is her wedding ring because she oh. always used to lose her wedding ring. So they made it that it's attached to her glasses, which she needs. So she'll never lose it. So she does this and it's just a great thing. I thought it was so cool. Um, her friends get her a puppy. I absolutely loved her puppy. She named it Donna with it, which I thought was hilarious. Um, and she has her dog and her dog can see dead people and is helping her to, I don't really understand, but it kind of helps her to know what some of the ghosts are telling her or if they're telling her the truth or if she's determining it right. I don't really understand. It's like a magic dog. Yeah. So as we learn, we end up learning that the dog is actually a hellhound. (laughs) I know. So you imagine this hellhound being all like, breathing fire or like some kind of fire but like as, as far as I know it's just like this random puppy and <laughs> so she's having a great time with her and we end up meeting this male lawyer that has gone to her office and his name is Gideon and we learn that he is the grim reaper oh and they begin to get to know each other know one another and she's kind of like, I'm not really ready for a relationship. So like a year prior to this, her longtime husband, they were married for 20 years, he died. And in, in an accident. And so she's grieving because it was a very long, loving relationship. And like all these ghosts are coming and she's kind of wondering like, why, like, why isn't Steve coming to visit me? He must like, she's thinking he must be all good and he must be in a great place. But he ends up popping up and we learn some things about him and about their relationship. And then from what we learn, which I don't want to give away, this kind of like the book, the point of the book is him trying to get his last, like the last things done. Like get things kind of squared off because there's things that he didn't tell her that are affecting her life and making it hard for her to be happy. So he wants her to be happy. And so I really like this book. Like it has ghosts in it, which I don't really enjoy ghosts, but they're kind of entertaining. Like, so if the ghosts get really excited, sometimes their limbs fall off, like their arm might fall off. And then she like gets out, she has like a whole like bunch of super glue and she like just super glues it back on, which I thought was really kind of random, but I thought it was hilarious at the same time. So it's a wonderful midlife crisis. Good to the last death book one. And it's by Robin Peterman. And I'm pretty sure Stacy has read this. I read the first four books like back to back. Um, this book especially made me laugh my ass off. Like I could not stop laughing, like hoot laughing. It was terrible. It's like a banana pants book and I could not stop reading it. And 
I read them in audio and Jessica Almacy, I think that's how you say her last name, reads it. And oh my God, she was so funny. The way she made the ghost talk, because I think um, Brooke mentioned this, that um, she has a hard time understanding what the ghosts are saying. It kind of sounds like gibberish to her. And the way that the audiobook narrator made these ghosts talk, I was crying. I was like wiping tears off my face. I was laughing so hard. So I found the first four books to be delightful. Um, I need to catch up with the series. Yeah, there's um, eight of them now. I know. I don't know if the that's only, the end. I don't, I'm like, the only reason why I stopped is because the, the next one hadn't come out yet. And then, you know, by the time it did, I had sort of, you know, I was reading something else, but um, I thought the series was clever and funny and just, especially the first book, it was just really quite delightful. So my last book tonight is Throwing Shade, Magic After Midlife, book one by Deborah Wild. Deborah Wild has written a couple of um, urban fantasy series. One is called Blood and Ash. The other one is The Unlikable Demon Hunter. Um, I've never actually read them, but I do kind of want to. But this, Throwing Shade, is paranormal women's fiction about a librarian and I really like books about librarians for obvious reasons. Although Miriam is a law librarian, so that's not like quite as stellar to me, but still. Um, in, in Canada, I believe in Winnipeg. And she is living with her teenage daughter, who she co-parents um, with her ex-husband, who is a gay police officer. And she lives on one side of the duplex. He lives on the other. And their daughter kind of goes back and forth um, between the two duplexes. So Miriam is very good at her job. She's very dedicated. But there's kind of like a, a spark missing in her life. Her best friend, Judith, who is like a, like a sculptor, um, it's always like telling her, you know, you have to like live a little bit, you know, you can't just like go home at the end of every night and, you know, you have to like get out there. And Miriam just, like, she doesn't know. She just doesn't, she doesn't feel like that's like the right thing for her to do. But when Judith goes missing, she starts to kind of get out into the world in ways that she hasn't in a very long time because she's trying to, of course, find her friend. Now, what you learn about Miriam pretty quickly is that she has this power and it's a power that I don't fully understand yet. And I think um, you have to like read more of the series to fully like comprehend what it is that she can do. But her shadow is like a separate entity um, that she has named Delilah. And through her ability to connect like with her own shadow, she can also interact with the shadows of other people and other sort of supernatural beings. So if she's like in a fight with someone and she wants to disable or kill them, she can like take their shadow in her hands and like sort of crumble it. And oh. this is apparently very bad for the person um, that she's doing this to. So she has done this apparently a couple of times in her life, like prior to us meeting her, but oh. wow. But she has led, like she's decided 
that she needs to, you know, push magic like to the back of, of her life and like not acknowledge it. But when Judith goes missing, she realizes that Judith is also a magical being and has been keeping this, you know, same secret that Miriam has. And she learns that there's a whole kind of underground magical community that she has been like on the outskirts of for a really long time. She meets a wolf shifter who is kind of her reluctant ally in this book. Um, I kind of get the sense that there will be a relationship between these two um, in later books in the series. But he is this really, um, he has a, a French accent which I just think is like very, very funny and cool. Um, she calls him Huff and Puff all the time. Oh, That's yeah. like her like, nickname <laughs> for him. And he hates it. Um, and this is, it's just a very, very cool take on magic where you're not necessarily seeing like some of the more conventional types of magic that we see in a lot of these books. Um, there are these beings that are called like dimmicks and they can possess people. And somehow they do this like between sunset on Friday and sunset on Saturday. Like that's somehow the time when, I don't know if there's like a veil that's thin, but like something happens during this time when like they can possess you. And there are only certain people, Miriam happening to be one of them, who can sort of get rid of this possession without having to actually kill the person who, who has been possessed. Um, so there's a lot of like very interesting magic here that feels very fresh. Um, I have to be honest and say that I don't love the audio narrator for this series. Her name is Croix Provence, I think. And she reads like she's smiling all the time. And I just get the impression that she's about to burst into laughter at any moment, <laughs> even though oh. sometimes like some of the stuff that she's reading isn't supposed to be very funny. <laughs> um, and so that just like, kind of annoyed me. So I don't know, but it's very possible that I will finish the series um, as an ebook because for some reason, even though I, I speed up my audiobooks to like three times normal speed, um, I, I was still really frustrated by the way she read. But I really like Miriam as a character. I like watching her kind of grapple with her responsibilities to the mundane world while she is um, like you know, coming into her, into her magic again. I think we see often, you know, people who kind of leave the mundane world behind and become like fully ensconced in the magical world. And Miriam can't do that because of her daughter and her like, you know, responsibilities to other people like in her, in her community. Um, so this is Throwing Shade. It's Magic After Midlife, book one by Deborah Wilde. I love this book. I love the wolf shifter. I loved Miriam. I really like the relationship with her daughter. Um, yes. To me, it had some Lorelai Rory vibes to it. The way that they talked to each other. Yeah. Yes. Um, I loved that she was able to co-parent with her ex-husband um, in a, as I recall it, a pretty respectful way. Um, yes. And I, I really like how she was slowly introduced once again 
um, sort of into the magical aspects of herself and of the community. I, this book was really um, a solid, really good read for me. And again, it was one of those where the first book was out and because I had to wait quite a while for the second, I was just reminded by Shannon of this series. And now I need to pick it back up because I think there's at least four, if not five books available in the series now. So I'm a little behind. My final book of the evening is Betwixt, Betwixt and Between Book One by Dorinda Jones. This book is about Defiance Dane, former restaurateur, and you, you know, Deliverance Dane. I know the the physic the yes um, the physic book of Deliverance Dane. Yes, but this is Defiance Dane. <laughs> Now, Defiance is, you know, living in, um, oh, hell, uh, Defiance is living in Phoenix, Arizona, and she's hit rock bottom. She's just, she's going through some shit. Her ex-husband's being a tool, um, took her restaurant, took everything, and she's just basically living on fumes. But then, surprise, surprise, she gets notified that she has been left a house as so often happens in paranormal women's fiction, she's been left a house by an unknown house. What? I know I want a house too. She's been left this un this house by an unknown benefactor um, in Salem, Massachusetts. Ooh, I especially well, want a house in Salem. I know. And what does defiance Dane have to lose? Well, really nothing. So she basically puts the rest of her savings into filling up her car with gas. She packs all her shit. And she lets her best friend Annette know she's moving across the country to go look at this house. And she does. And she meets the um, attorney who is, no, I'm sorry, the realtor who is handling the sale of the house out in front of the house. And the realtor is all like jumpy and nervous and weird about the whole thing. And is just trying to get her to sign over, you know, sign the papers and, you know, like, like let this woman get back to her day because this woman is clearly frightened of this lovely house and defiance is kind of like, um, okay. And so she signs the papers and goes inside and begins to realize that the house is quite fascinating. Its name is Percival and it is a sort of magical house. And as she's kind of learning about this house, she's talking to her friend Annette on the phone and talking about some pretty, um, funny topics. When all of a sudden, who should walk into her kitchen but a completely tatted up, gorgeous man? Defiance, who's in her 40s, is like, holy hotness, Batman, this is something extra special. And this guy is um, sort of like a handyman who cares for, for the house and the property. Well, so Defiance is trying to figure out, you know, who left her this house um, she's given, I want to say it's like a flash drive. Um, I can't quite remember, to be honest, with information from the woman who has passed away um, about her. But every time she goes to like sit down and look at all this, she keeps getting interrupted by things. You know, all of a sudden, Annette shows up, her bestie from Phoenix, and she shows up. And, you know, then people just keep knocking on Defiance's door. Like, telling her she needs to help them find 
lost objects, lost things. And she's like, well, what the hell? She only has three days to figure out if she's actually going to stay and, you know, keep the house and keep the inheritance and keep the secrets that this deceased woman wants to pass to her. And all throughout this book, she has the hots for the hottie McHotterson handyman. And she and Annette are funny as hell together. It's, it's typical Dorinda Jones, sort of flighty all over the place humor. Um, there's funny t-shirt sayings in every chapter. Um, it's just sort of um, her signature, signature style. If you've read um, the Charlie Davidson series, you'll know what I'm talking about. This is kind of similar to that. Um, but um, just it's, it's delightful, laugh out loud, sexy hero, um, kind of zany heroine who you end up really liking. And that's all I'm going to say about this book, um, because I don't want to give away all of the magical elements that kind of defiance begins to learn about herself as this book is progressing. There are three books out in the series and only God and Dorinda Jones knows when the fourth book is coming out. Um, we've been told now several different times of release dates and they yet they have yet to come to fruition, but you can read the first three books in the Betwixt and Between series. The first being Betwixt, Betwixt and Between book one by Dorinda Jones. Mm. My last book that I'm going to talk about is Magic Uncorked Cocktail Series, book one by Annabelle Chase. This has four books in this series and they all have um, sort of cocktail-y or drink names. This is about Libby and Libby is, she has a group of three other women and they're, they all meet at each other's houses to have drinks and kind of decompress and kind of share what's been going on in their lives. And so they, they take turns in each other's houses to host, but one of their friends dies and kind of leaves them magic and oh. so magic is not you're not born with it you're you inherit it and so she divides her magic between the four women and at first they all think that this lawyer and he's pretty they describe him as a silver fox <laughs> <laughs> is pretty um they're pretty skeptical and they don't believe because he left they all have to, like, she left it in a jar, this magic. <laughs> oh. And it kind of like, smells. No, I think you just inhale it. If oh. I recall, you just kind of let it loose and it kind of goes between the, the women. And they all comment how it smells garlicky like she did. Because she loved her <laughs> bagel beef <laughs> tips. <laughs> So that was kind of, that was an interesting spin that I haven't read before. Um, and they have to, this story is Libby's and there is a, a murder and they have to figure out who murdered 
this, this person. And, but also grow into their magical powers at the same time. And Libby's kind of skeptical um, that magic is real. And they all kind of inherit these, these grimoires. And in the grimoires, they're blank until you actually start to really believe or until you really need the book. And then a cocktail recipe will come up that'll help you with your solution problem, whatever it is. I so love these was, books. I need these cocktail recipes. <laughs> they, they, it was a really cute idea. Um, this one was Magic Uncorked by Annabelle Chase Cocktail Series number one. This was, uh, they, they were actually pretty fun. I gobbled these up just as fast as the, um, the first Fang book. So it's not like a lot of fun. All right. So this concludes our discussion of paranormal women's fiction. Thank you to Georgina, Brooke, and Stacy for participating on kind of short notice. I realized, um, like at the end of last week that we didn't have an episode for this week. And so I appreciate people coming up with books um, in, in short order. Thanks as always goes out to Christine for all of her editing. And of course, we thank each and every one of you for joining us each week as we talk about great books. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Mm